Daddy. Okay. You ready? I'm totally ready. Uh. Oh, I there's I I can't do the intro today. You can't do the intro today. Why not? There, if there's no comics authority code uh-huh. in the book, we don't have an intro. What a what a very sedated, different start today. Why don't you explain to everybody why there's no comics authority code symbol, and then maybe they can understand. All right, everybody. This is actually a landmark issue, issue number 96 here of Amazing Spider-Man, because prior to this, the Comics Code Authority put into effect in the 1950s after Frederick Wortham's book, Seduction of the Innocent, convinced people that comic books were corrupting the youth, held strict parent guidelines which all comics had to follow. Aside from the basic violence in language restrictions, there were lots of weird arbitrary stuff like no vampires or werewolves and the issue could never end with the villain winning which made cliffhangers very tricky yeah that would be that's strange you said that part about the uh villain winning i was thinking from our limited issues um remember when spider-man was back in issue 26 one of the ones that was in your cabin spider-man is there with the crime master and the crime master is trying to hold court and the goblin's like huh Oh, look, I've captured Spider-Man, yeah, you we, know. We've talked about that, and I thought that was sort of like the villain winning, but I guess it didn't count. They've certainly been pushing the limits with Spider-Man in that uh, department. Um, but then an anti-drug group asked Stan Lee to put an anti-drug message into a Spider-Man issue, and the comics code forbid it. Stan decided to go ahead and do it anyway, but everyone was super worried the issue would be boycotted or banned because it wasn't approved by the CCA. So... The book went out without the little CCA stamp on the cover. Uh, Absolutely no one noticed, and it didn't affect the sales at all. (laughs) This led to an industry-wide realization that the CCA had pretty much zero authority, and all their dumb rules went right out the window. This opened the door to darker stories, more suspenseful cliffhangers, and the introduction of vampires into the Marvel Universe. And the introduction of uh, werewolves. Uh, I'm just thrilled this issue was was made this is this is such a good issue you know what i don't want to waste any more time on this eddie this is an amazing issue a landmark issue the removal of the comics code authority changes marvel's direction the direction of all comics everywhere this is a great story with a lot of hidden innuendos and mixed messages and ah it's just so good i'm so excited to talk about it so without further ado eddie Go ahead and hit us with your summary. Absolutely. I am also thrilled to talk about this issue. Amazing Spider-Man number 96, and now the Goblin. Peter is on his way back from London, forlorn because he failed to find Gwen. But the pictures he took of Spidey fighting the terrorists are excellent. Joe Robbie is very happy. He also has possibly figured out that Peter and Spidey are one and the same. Recently, we saw that Captain Stacy knew. Uh, Peter specs Joe Robbie knows for sure, but he's kind of playing it the same way he did all the time with Captain Stacy by saying nothing. We're going to now have all those thought bubbles of maybe Joe Robbie knows, maybe Joe Robbie knows, but Peter can't say anything. Eddie, he, he has no choice, right? He can't do anything about this. Yeah. Peter bumps into Harry, who cajoles him into taking a job his father offered him and makes sure he'll attend MJ's big show that night with much trepidation. Peter goes to see Norman, whose doctor has recently reminded him not to think about crime or superheroes or the reports of Spider-Man. 
Although Peter vaguely reminds Norman of someone, Mr. Osborne happily hires Peter part-time and invites him to go see MJ's show. Uh, I'm turning right now to the final panel of page seven. I don't know if you have that handy, but it sums up this trepidation perfectly. Uh, The light's on half of his face, and he's just looking afraid, and someone's saying, it's strange. Of course, this is Mr. Osborne talking. Uh, You always seem to remind me of someone, but I don't know who. Oh, well, it's probably my imagination. And, like, you can see he's, like, so stressed out about having to be around this guy. Good thing he's not going to be be working with him. But but the, the issue doesn't want to be serious all the time. So, Eddie, they have some... Super fun with Aunt May and her brief appearance. And if you allow me to read the three panels at the end of page eight for the listeners, it's Aunt May and Peter, and Miss Watson does have one line uh, in there as well. Aunt May and Mrs. Watson, what brings you downtown? Anna convinced me that I should get out more, so we're off to a show. We're going to see Hair? Uh, Hair? Uh, But it might be a little too far out for you. I mean, look, it's not exactly rated G, Honestly, Peter, you're so old-fashioned. You should really be more hep. Uh, You mean hip? Well, whatever you call it. Oh, Anna is teaching me to be a slinger. (laughs) Brilliant writing. Brilliant writing. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I mean, sometimes she just some... Some terribly goofy stuff, but I thought this was very important in a very serious issue. Yes. When none of the characters can really be making jokes, who can? Aunt May can always come in for a laugh. Yes, very appropriate. And I, you know, hair, I've played the show Hair before, James B. Do you know that at the end of the first act, everyone takes their clothing off? <laughs> I did not know that. It was extremely controversial at the time that it came out because <laughs> that I, I did play an authentic version of hair. All the Actors and actresses were naked at the end of the first act, so uh, it's super funny to see that Aunt May is going to see hair. Well, I'm telling you, from what I've just heard about the show and what you've just told me, I, I don't think we should have had an intro. The Comics Code Authority does not approve <laughs> this podcast. Oh, that's right. We actually don't approve this one. That's why we didn't have an intro. Um, well, if you promise to keep your clothes on, you can continue with the summary. How's that? All right. After leaving Aunt May and before seeing the show, Peter decides to clear his head with a little web swinging. Spidey saves a drug-induced man falling from a building and talks about the dangers of drugs. As Peter, Harry, and Norman are waiting to see MJ's show, Randy Robertson gets in a verbal altercation with Norman about his wealth, privilege, and power and asks Norman, what have you done to fight drugs? James B., this is some blatant anti-drug propaganda. Uh, would this keep youths from abusing drugs or make them more interested? So you and I didn't set this question up, but as I was reading this, I was thinking there's, I was thinking this almost more, even though it's supposed to be an anti-drug issue. So far, there's almost more like, hey, drugs will take your mind off your problems type of things. There was, there's one moment where that dude jumps off the building Yes. But other than that, there hasn't really been too much of like why you shouldn't do drugs. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to get there, but it was weird. I was thinking about as a, if I was reading this as a kid, would I have had an opinion? And uh, I don't know. I I think it's I think it's a little, little wishy-washy. What do you think? I, I think that, you know, 
the junkie who's up on top of the building talking about seeing lions and flying like a bird is is something of a curiosity to a young mind. And besides, this issue might be actually encouraging uh, or, you know, not discouraging children from or young people from doing drugs. This conversation that Randy has with Norman is a really fascinating one, particularly um, the junkie who's on top of the building is a is a black man, and I I got really I was like ah oh, Stan you're falling in you're falling into a narrative. But then when Randy shows up, I mean he says this line. He goes, um, "Man, this drug scene really bugs me. Everybody figures it's the black man's bag, but it ain't. We're the ones who hate it the most." And it's really wonderful that Stan you know brings Randy into the situation to really clearly state that this perception of drugs and black people is incorrect. Well, why don't you uh, wrap up this first comic because we have a whole second comic to talk about as well. Yeah. MJ stuns the crowd and receives a standing ovation. Norman is acting strange and Peter sticks around to follow him. Peter suspects Norman had a nefarious reason to open a door in the theater. He doubles back and behind the door finds... Parker! You dare come here? Well, I can promise you this. You'll never leave alive. The Green Goblin. All right. This is a great issue. Bigger news. Goblin returns. MJ's sitting on Peter. (laughs) Peter finally takes a science job. What do you think? Uh, Biggest news. I I think MJ hitting on Peter is more common than not. Goblin returning is a big problem. But I am so glad that Peter has finally taken a job using his skills that hopefully he would be rewarded for with lots of monetary compensation. Now, I'm taking the job. That is the correct answer. (laughs) Biggest news is Peter takes a science job. That's huge, and I'm sure it's going to work out great for him at Osborne Laboratories. Go ahead and tell us what happens in the next of our two issues, which also, by the way, does not have the comics code authority or the, what's it called? It? Um, the comics code authority. You are correct, James B. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 97 in the grip of the goblin. The goblin is back and battling Spidey. He opens a hallucinogenic pumpkin, which promptly gasses Spidey. More gas problems for Spidey here. We know he has a history of being gassed by villains. But I think it's more interesting that a hallucinogenic pumpkin appears in this particular fight scene because to a, a, a Spidey-file, you know, someone who's read a lot of Spider-Man, we would remember that a hallucinogenic, pro- hallucinogenic pumpkin actually solves Norman Osborn's mental illness and problems, makes him forget that he's the Green Goblin, and well, also helps Peter. And so I... I want to say here, James B., that Stan's saying drugs are bad, but for his like hardcore fans who have read all the Spideys, he might be saying there's a beneficial side effect to some drugs. So you think that because he's shown in the past that the drugs made the goblin get amnesia? Yes. That drugs are okay? Yeah. Well, I think the hallucinogenic public helped Norman in a huge way. He didn't have his problems afterwards. So. And so your, your argument is that it's drugs are good because it helps people who feel, who have a bad thing going on, forget that their problems, which is what drugs are. My argument is that 
drugs are not always bad in some situations because they haven't always been bad in Spider-Man. Right. And that this is, you know, very clearly juxtaposed against this idea that drugs are bad, don't do them in this magazine. Some drugs are legal today, right? You can buy medicinal marijuana, right? Right. So is this is this like the beginning of the medicinal marijuana? Like Stanley saw this, you know, 50 years ago, like, hey, maybe maybe we should have like little smoking marijuana bombs. I think Stan Lee was very well aware of the like psychedelic drug movement that was going on in the late 60s here and still in this vintage too. And there was a lot of people, you know, like um, who were arguing that these drugs, like everyone should take an LSD trip and like really release their inner mind. By the way, this is a, this is LSD, the one that like it doesn't say it specifically, but Harry's taking yeah. LSD in this, if you didn't know that. Yeah. I, well, there's a whole like movement, you know, uh, what's his name? Richard Geary, who was at Harvard did all these studies about the benefits of LSD and mental illness and he got kicked out, but how about the line? Once I remove its little head plug, you think that's important? (laughs) Not particularly. I actually disagree with you. Really? Maybe he's trying to send you a message saying like, Hey, this will like release your mind. Like this will help your head. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, a parent or a politician would read this magazine and I think they very clearly would be like, great. Great anti-drug message, you know, like all throughout. But Stan is writing in such a clever way here because he's appeasing those people. And he's also sending a message to people who have read a lot of Spider-Man. I don't think he's sending a message that says drugs are okay, though, in the in this part. I disagree with no, you there. I don't think that's I don't what know. he's saying. You know, I, I don't think he's trying to send the message that drugs are okay. But I think he's trying to say that this is a far more complex issue than just drugs are bad. As Spider-Man tries to reason with the Goblin, Spider-Man realizes he's been pulling his punches too much, giving the Goblin a false sense of superiority. The Goblin gets away, and Peter has another crisis about being Spider-Man. I think the Goblin has a really good line um, on the top of page four, and uh, I I can picture it as if it was in the No Way Home movie, and it would be with uh you know tom holland and william defoe and he's like goblin listen to me we have to talk you're sick and i want to help you and he's like fine i want to help you too to an early grave (laughs) great line great line so good writing again all right finish this one up for us back at his apartment harry gets irritated with peter for not stopping mj's advances Peter and Harry run into MJ, who makes who make more advances towards Peter. In an alley, Harry has sold some drugs. A little while later, MJ dumps Harry. At the apartment again, Peter and Harry argue. Harry takes the pills he bought from the drug dealer. Peter swings off, and when he returns, he finds a barely conscious Harry. And just as he's about to call for help, the Green Goblin shows up. What an ominous end, James B. You know, M- MJ... We kind of let her off the hook. We didn't choose her for the choice earlier of what was the more shocking of the three things to happen there. And we all kind of leaned into Peter getting a science job versus MJ hitting on Peter. Yes. But did you notice any of the lines that MJ says in these issues? I think they're a little scandalous, particularly in the previous issue. At one point, she puts her hand on Peter's shoulder and said something like, remember when they used to call you Puny Parker, you sure have changed, PD. Uh, when 
Peter needs to find a seat at one point. She says, I'm going to help Peter to his seat. And he says, I can find my own way. I'm a big boy. And she's like, mmm, you sure are. I remember that one. Peter's like, then she's like, where'd you get this? She's like, where'd you get this chain? And he's like, "Uh, I got it from Gwen. (laughs) Because he's, you know, she's got her arm hooked in his. So he's really doing his best to push off her advances. But she's she's really aggressive. Do you you think uh, Harry's anger is, you know, worthy? I don't know what she's doing. I don't know why she's... Of course, we've we've talked about before with even with some of our guests, like why is she with Harry in the first place? Uh-huh. But of course, Harry should be angry, right? I I think so. I I my dating history is not very long, but a freewheeling spirit like MJ would be very difficult to corral in a relationship. I think. I mean, we can go back to the flash kiss, <laughs> followed by the Gwen kiss, too. Quite frankly, but. Uh, I don't know if MJ has the same idea of what her and Harry are ever, actually. What did you think of the uh, feel of these two issues, James B? These issues felt so different, and it's not because of the drugs, and it's not because of the comics code authority being absent from the cover. Um, it's not because also that uh, looks like John Romita is starting to take a little bit of a backseat in the, in the drawing in, in some of these, but it was... It was like the clothing for me. Like we've yeah. we've changed artists before. We've changed timelines before. But Peter went from his green and yellow crazy striped shirt to a yellow shirt with like fringes to now he's wearing um, like the, the, the gold chains and everything. And Harry's <laughs> yes. walking around with the, the V-neck shirt where you can see like, you know, it's cut down to his navel. And everybody's wearing like orange jackets and... Still, I still really enjoyed them, but it felt so different than the issues even five issues ago. I I completely agree, and I agree both in the, I mean, there's a lot of fringe going on here. MJ's got a lot of fit, fringe in her outfits too, but I just think these issues are very well worked over. Like they knew they were going to be controversial, and like we better we better nail it for some good issues here, and that's what they did. Both these issues are far superior to, you know. Issues we've read the last 10, even 20 comics, probably. Well, even though this wasn't supported by the Comics Code Authority, it is supported by a sponsor today. Wonderful. Uh, Eddie, today's sponsor is a social media app for all occasions. Have you ever been to a social gathering and you're in some situation and you're with some people like uh, your sister's husband or your boss's wife, some awkward situation where you're like, I need to talk to this person. I just don't have the appropriate thing to say. Well, the new app, What Would MJ Say, will give you the appropriate thing to say. And, and you can download this app from the App Store or Google Play or Malavita. And I have already downloaded it. And what you do, Eddie, is you put in your gender and the relationship of the person with you. And it tells you what to say to start a conversation. So if you'd like, I can try it out for you because I can I can read it. So, Okay. All right, it's a so, preview, huh? Yeah, I can do it for you. So now... I can put this in, this works for a guy or a girl versus however you want to do it. So you let me know the situation. Uh, in this situation, let me just type in here. Okay, so what is your gender? Do you want to be a guy first or a girl? I'll be a, I'll be a guy first. All right, guy first, okay. And just tell me the relationship of the person that you're having a conversation with. Okay, all right. Um, I'm at a party. We've I've just met a girl who was dancing. That's the relationship. Just a random dancing girl? Well, yeah, I've come up, we've, we've, 
exchanged about a few words. But it talks about. So, are you? Is this someone like like a coworker? Is this like your boss's wife? Is this like who is this person? Ah, uh, this is a friend of a friend. We'll say. All right, so this is just a strange friend of a friend. All right, all right, boss is okay. It's a it's a girl. You said okay. Yeah. Um, here's a conversation. Here's an icebreaker. You could say to her, um, "Hey, you'll have a place to sit as long as I have a face, sweetie." Okay. So this is good. Like it, it it's kind of saying like, hey, um, if you are done dancing, because that's why I put in she was dancing, and you want to sit down, we can sit down and talk. So uh, okay. yeah, that's okay. what MJ would say. <laughs> okay. Okay. I am a uh, older married woman. Yep. Okay. And older married uh, woman. I I have just gone to see a musical, and I'm talking to uh, another uh, married man. Oh, okay. It's easy. Two married people just having a conversation. Yes, right. All right. And you're the, you're the girl. All right. Here's what it says, how to break the ice. It says, you should say, your body is a wonderland and I want to be Alice. Oh, that's good because you said musical. So it made the, see, it makes the MJ app makes a connection and says, oh, look, you're into theater and I know like Alice in Wonderland. This app is great. So Eddie, would you consider purchasing the, um, what would MJ say app? I do like talking like MJ every once in a while, but uh, I think only as a joke. I, I'm going to pass on this, James B. It, I don't think it's going to work very well for me. <laughs> okay. Well, we thank them for being a sponsor on our show. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> so anything else uh, we want to talk about in these books? These books are chock full of stuff. There's We could go anywhere you want with this. Yeah, there's so many things. I, I want to talk about this fight that Spider-Man's having with the Green Goblin in 97. Um, Spider-Man realizes later on when the Goblin says, you always back down at the critical moment. And Spider-Man says, so that's why he was so confident. Because I tried not to harm him. He thought I was scared. He didn't know the real reason. Um, I knew he couldn't help himself. He's had brain damage. He's sick. And besides, he's my best friend's dad. Spider-Man has been pulling his punches when fighting the Green Goblin. I think this is a really fascinating, like, struggle when dealing with, like, a mentally ill person. It's fascinating to see Spider-Man grapple with this in real time as he's, you know, fighting the Green Goblin. I just really like this plot, plot line and the way it plays out here. So in the same fight, the Goblin is being choked and he says, like, loosen your grip, I'll talk to you. And then... He flips Spider-Man off him, and his thought is, he's gone. He must have fallen to his death, and good riddance. His accursed grip almost finished me then. So wait a second. You were about to be choked. You were smart enough to figure out how to get out of it. And then when Spider-Man fell, you figured he fell to his death, and that's it? Like, uh, It is a common failing of villains. They just, they they never go to check whether Spidey's got a pulse or not. We don't even need to go back to the time the lizard could have finished Spider-Man off because that was that was far worse. But no, but we do need to go to the end of our podcast. Okay, Eddie. People can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey, and they can reach out to us at Let's Read Spider-Man at gmail.com. <laughs> Haven't done it in a while. <laughs> this is James B. Joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners. If you decide to write a story that the Comics Code Authority will not approve, it's not going to make any difference at all. Goodbye. Goodbye.
I think there's lines in here too that are confusing this whole storyline, like where the goblin says, "You should have known the goblin would never use anything as as explosives." <laughs> I'm like, the goblin's always using explosives. <laughs> yes. And Eddie, I'd like to I'd like to go back and and uh, and give you a quote okay. from um from from you. All right. This is a quote from you back in our episode ten of our podcast. Yes. You say. When the enforcers trap themselves in a cave with the Hulk, you say, quote, Goblin doesn't let his emotions get the best of him. Yeah, that's that's the, just not the case. The Goblin anymore, is a very it? emotional villain. <laughs> He's almost completely motivated by rage, right? <laughs> it's okay. I, I There are mistakes that happen when I, when I start in the beginning, too. But speaking of rage um, and emotions, didn't uh, you want to talk about um, something that the Randy Roberts talking to Norman section. We're the ones who hate it the most. It's where Randy says, everyone figures it's the black man's bag, but it ain't. We're the ones who hate it the most. And then Norman Osborne says, don't look at me, son. I know where it's at. <laughs> There's no way Norman Osborne is saying that like that in real life. I know where it's at. <laughs> Norman, no. A middle-aged man in 1971. <laughs> More than middle-aged.